Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, and that is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on May 17th, 2021. This is the day after the MTV Movie and TV Show Award Show. Do you still pay attention? I mean, I know you're you're in radio, but do you, do you still pay attention at all to MTV? Or I didn't even know MTV still existed <laughs> until you just said that they had an award show. I was almost speculating: did they come back out of retirement for this award show, or uh, is there a channel that they're on? You know, I was out of high school. I was in college when MTV kind of exploded, but it was interesting to watch the impact it had on on movies. I mean, literally, you'd have people who had videos that were huge successes on MTV that would then get gigs to direct films because they wanted they look, that look and they wanted that style. So, yeah, it was quick editing. That was the invention of, I don't want to say digital editing, but it was very, very fast, blinky editing that just kind of, I think it was the beginning of the ADHD culture. Was, it could be. Yeah, can you, can you take in this three-minute story and these blinky, blinky little cuts? <laughs> well, uh, why does that remind me of the Blipferts, the Max Headroom? Yeah, 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 totally. Okay, something edited so quick your head explodes. Yeah. So given that MTV had such an impact on film in the 80s, it kind of logically they, they launched their own movie award show. And, and then over time it got changed from a movie to a TV award show because of you know what's going on with streaming. and Which brings us to what happened last night, which is Marvel Studios did ridiculously well, taking home six awards for its limited series that it's now being presented over Disney+. Plus. WandaVision picked up four. It got Best Show, Best Performance in a Show, which went to Elizabeth Olsen. Best Villain, which deservedly went to Katherine Hahn for her, her performance of, as Agnes and uh, Agatha Harkness. And then they actually took home the award for Best Fight in a Movie. And you got to give Elizabeth and Katherine credit because they come on stage for this award. First of all, they do a little play fight as they're coming on stage. And then they take the time with the award to thank the effects guys, because they said, look, without those guys, it would have been like 10 minutes of emphatic hand gestures. We should also mention that Falcon and the Winter Soldier took home two MTV movie and TV show awards. It, it won for Best Hero, which Anthony Mackie took for his portrayal of Sam Wilson, Falcon, and the new Captain America. Also took the award for Best Duo for the team-up of Mackie and Sebastian Stan. Now, I want to interject a quick little odd factor here. That mm -hmm. on Netflix, there's a new movie out called uh, The Woman in the Window, I believe. Yes, yes. So okay. it's the new Captain America is in that movie, and so is Anthony Mackie. Now, they don't share any screen time together, but I was like, hey, wait a minute. These two fellows shouldn't get along, should they meet in this movie? <laughs> and they didn't. And I was all, oh, darn it, I was kind of hoping for a kerfluffle. Oh, uh, yeah, wow. it, was, it was just great to see both of them in different material working mm -hmm. together like that, even though they didn't share any screen time. But anyway, that's a okay. digression. Go ahead with your story, sir. No, 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 no. And that's also Amy Adams, right? Correct. Uh, She's the lead of, of that story. It's got Gary Oldman. It's got uh, a, quite a really good cast of, of mm -hmm. characters. And it's almost like if somebody had told you the story of Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window mm -hmm. and you had memory problems and you tried to tell it back to somebody and got only half of the story right and then confused the other half with a different movie altogether, uh, that's that's what this movie is. Oh, it's very, okay. very reminiscent of, of Rear Window up until a point and you go, hey, wait a minute, this is, this is not that, and it goes different. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll have to check that out. I, I'm a huge fan of Rear Window. I mean, yeah. I, and just from a mechanics point of view, the notion that... Hitchcock was actually able to persuade a studio to build that set. It's kind of a similar thing here. They have what they call a dollhouse, which is where they cr kind of crack open the wall of Amy mm. Adams's home, and that way they mm. can shoot her running down the staircase. And apparently it was dangerous enough that they had to put wire harnesses on her in case she were to trip and fall down to infinity. So, uh, yeah, they, they did quite a lot of technical mumbo-jumbo to achieve all of the spectacular look of that film as well. It's very similar, and you got to build a huge set to make that happen. Mm, but anyway, okay. back to Marvel. We would just, again, Anthony Mackie, who's who's in uh, Woman in the Window, you know, as he picked up his Hero Award, teased that there is more to come, though it was unclear whether he was talking about that rumored season two for Falcon and the Winter Soldier 
or now that fourth Captain America movie that Malcolm Spellman, he's the showrunner of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, got hired back on April 23rd to write. So it's mm. Magic 8-Ball says, check back later. We, we don't know exactly what is the more to come. I think you need a new Magic 8-Ball. It says that an awful lot. It does. It does. It does. I, I, I think I it's weighted not. on one side and you just got to shake it a little bit harder. Get a different answer, or, Jim. Or maybe shouldn't have glued that to the <laughs> There inside, you go. That is a problem. There we, so that's the news and related to the, the, the MTV Awards and Marvel Studios. And, and speaking of the news, the news portion of today's episode of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, so... Eric, you've worked in entertainment for years, mm. and no, in a normal situation, you're a giant entertainment company. You've just taken home six major awards from an award show, so you're happy, right? No. <laughs> you've set the bar now. It's like the high jump. Uh, mm -hmm. I've cleared six feet. Am I happy? No, I have to now clear six foot two. I cleared six foot two. Am I happy? No, I have to clear six foot four. It goes all the way up to like this ridiculous 30 feet in the air. I got to jump now. What the heck? It never stops. That's actually the problem right now at Disney+. Plus. You have to set the Wayback Machine right now for November of 2019 when Disney+, Plus, you know, the company's subscription service launched on November 12th. At that time, Disney was telling people in the investment community, we look at Netflix success and we look how long it took them to get to where they are. So realistically, it's going to take us till 2024 to get uh, 60 to 90 million subscribers. Now, I want to know, were they counting the CD or DVD sending in the mail years or was this strictly when they were online only? <laughs> Oh, I get it. That, that's a fascinating question. In fact, invariably, whatever I would order was something obscure and it would arrive broken or scratched. Right. But I mean, Netflix didn't just turn on a web streaming service and have 50 million subscribers on day one. They had no, they no. had a, a DVD in the mail subscription and then they turned on a web server and went, oh, by the way, if you're tired of getting, you know, DVDs in the mail, you can also do this thing we're trying mm -hmm. out. And it didn't have the entire library of the DVDs that you could choose not. from. So it did not. Yeah, it was it was hobbled a little bit, but people mm -hmm. went, well, I can just watch things and not have to wait for the mail. And then they started binging on entire yeah. seasons of things when yeah. that started happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, back in the day when you binge, you, you know, at some point you had to get off the couch, go up to the DVD player and change the disc. Yeah, no more. You know, right. No more, no more. And then the sale of mini fridges rose dramatically in those years <laughs> as people said, you know what? I'm not getting off the couch for a new fridge. And I'll tell you what, if Lazy Boy would have thought of the Poopomatic with the built-in uh, toilet, oh, they would have sold billions. Uh, <laughs> thank you for that visual. Okay. So anyway, we were talking about the expectation that Disney set back in, in November 2019. Again, 60 to 90 subscribe, uh, million subscribers by 2024. But... Along comes COVID. We're all trapped at home. We have nothing to do. So uh, this ridiculous number of people sign up for Disney Plus in the first year. In fact, to the point that in just one year's time, this subscription streaming service acquires 86.8 million subscribers. So basically, they make their four-year plan in one year's time. And Wall Street, as it does, it notices. And as you just mentioned, it raises the bar. When it comes to the investment community's expectation for Disney Plus. So December last year, industry observers revised their four-year goal for Disney subscription streaming services. They now forecast that Disney Plus will have 230 to 260 million subscribers by 2024. And initially, Disney seems to be chugging along that exact track. Last time they announced their quarterly earnings, this was February 11th of this year, they revealed that Disney Plus now had 94.9 million subscribers, means they picked up 8.1 million subscribers in just three months' time. It, Wall Street, once again, loses its mind. And so what they do now is they project, oh, forget about the 2024 thing. By the end of 2023, 
Disney Plus will have more subscribers than Netflix. And and meanwhile, Disney's kind of waving to the investment community like, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, we're happy, you're happy, but... Which brings us to last week, and Disney releases its earnings for the second quarter of 2021. And folks on Wall Street had projected that if they were going to stay on track, if they were going to beat Netflix by the end of 2023, Disney had to have... 110 million subscribers to Disney Plus by the end of this quarter. And when Disney announced the results, it's like, I'm I'm sorry, guys, we only got 103.6 million subscribers. Now, that's still more subscribers than they picked up in the first quarter of this year. They they picked up 8.1 million subscribers in that three-month period. And this last three-month period, they picked up 8.5. So that's 400,000 more subscribers than they got the previous quarter. But Wall Street still was disappointed. It's like, oh, you didn't meet our expectation. And so now they were literally investment houses that decided, well, Disney, which we've had as a strong buy, we're not going to put as a hold. And Aaron, you having worked in entertainment and broadcasting for years, is this unusual? Is this what happens to entertainment companies, especially when they're dealing with the investment community? Yeah, the investment community sees you as spare parts, really. Mm -hmm. We had a, a situation once upon a time where a radio station was purchased by a bank, and the bank had no understanding of how to radio period. They didn't know how audience building, they didn't know anything about it. And so their strategy was they had seen that we had made $10 million in advertising that year. And then they fired half the staff and sold off half of the vehicles and the equipment and the gear. So our operating costs was cut down to absolutely nothing. And then they turned around and sold it to another broadcast company under the the guise on paper Last year, you made $10 million and we were able to cut all of the operating costs by half. What a steal this property is. New radio station comes in, and then they go, oh, this is broken. But they want to do real radio, so they're asking you to do things that you don't have the tools or the manpower for. And it was years and years of trying to rebuild something that it was like if, if you bought a super nice luxury vehicle, mm-hmm. and then... Somebody went, hey, can I borrow your car for a a couple of days? And you go, sure. And then they strip it for parts and they bring back a frame. And they go, okay, here's your car back. Now you have to go out and buy single part by part and rebuild it from the ground up while you're still trying to be in a race. So, yeah, there was many years of sacrifice where we were just trying to make up ground to get back to where we used to be five years Mm -hmm. earlier when we had all of our tools and our staff. And uh, we weren't just looked at by bean counters as how can we milk this cow dry and kill it in one pull. You know, it's mm-hmm. like trying to get 100 gallons of milk out of that one cow in one pull. And it's like, you're going to kill the cow. And it's like, we don't care. We're not here to farm. We're here to get mm-hmm. milk in one pull. And then they move on. So, yeah, they didn't care about what happened after the fact. And that's that's a bank talking. Like when, when it was a radio station, when it was an actual entertainment company, they mm-hmm. wanted to grow an audience. And they wanted to advertise to them. They wanted to build relationships with the advertisers. And there's an overall long game plan there. But a bank was, I'm going to buy you, I'm going to strip you, I'm going to sell you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a difference between how they think about an entertainment company. The thing that concerns me here is that Disney actually seems to be at least giving lip service to what the folks are saying here. Because that's the notion that, okay, you're putting a our company's stock, you know, from a buy position to a hold position. But here, here's what we're doing to fix the situation. And, it, you know, for example, um, Loki, last night as part of the award show, they ran an exclusive minute-long clip from the first episode, and a wonderful scene between Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston. But here's Disney going, well, all right, maybe we didn't make 110 million subscribers because we weren't aggressive enough when it came to promotion. So they're really putting the pedal to the metal when it comes to Loki. I mean, have you heard about these viewing parties that they're doing? Yeah, with all of the thing, everything that ever had Loki in it every Wednesday. And you know what that is, Jim? Mm-hmm. That is Pavlog's dog training for their audience. They're going, hey, Loki's not on Friday. I know we've trained you all to show up on Friday, but this is different. Mm-hmm. And they need a way 
to get people into a Wednesday mentality. And so they show everything that Loki's been in on a Wednesday. Mm -hmm. So people start associating Wednesdays with Loki so they can schedule. But you know why supposedly they moved Loki to Wednesday? What's coming on Friday in the future for Disney Plus? On July 9th, Black Widow opens in theaters and becomes premium access content on Disney Plus. And the way it was explained to me is the fear at Disney was you're a Marvel fan. You've watched the four previous weeks of Loki. And here comes episode five. And you have a choice on, on Friday. It's like, okay, so do I watch Loki or do I give Disney Plus an additional $30 so I can watch Black Widow? It was one of these things where it's like, oh, God, they're going to default to Loki and it's going to screw up our opening weekend numbers and it's going to make Black Widow look like it's a disappointment. And we can't have that. So this, this was another idea behind let's move it to Wednesday. Let's move it away from the Friday. So they'll already have seen it. The notion is, okay, you've seen episode five of Loki on Wednesday, and oh, look, Black Widow is now running on Friday, and don't you want to give us $30, or don't you want to go to the movie theater? It's smart. I mean, they've got to work their calendar. I mean, that is half of the job after you make a movie, right? Putting it in mm -hmm. the right slot for the audience to show up in, so fair play. Remember, the old business model was that you release a movie in theaters, and then the exhibitors have it for 90 days. And then you move through all of the other you know, revenue streams. You do pay-per-view, you do Blu-ray, you do DVD. But at this earnings call that, that just happened last week, Bob Chapek actually talked about how we move further into the year and we get to where Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings is being released on, on September 10th. He's like, we're definitely releasing that to theaters. Okay, we're not going to do the premium access thing on Disney+. Plus. But on the other hand, we're not going to stick with the 90-day window. We're only going to do a 45-day long window. The theater owners, I'm sure, applauded. Standing ovation at that news, correct? Am I mistaken on that? Oh. What is the line from uh, Sanford and said, I'm coming, Elizabeth. <laughs> right, right. Okay. It's a big one. Uh, no, that, that that's it exactly. It's like, what? You just cut our window in half? And it's mm -hmm. like, well, look, the business has changed. COVID has changed everything. And so it's like, you know, this is what somebody at Disney told me. It's like, look, Shang-Chi in theaters, you know, September 3rd. But don't be surprised if it's not available to, you know, for you to sit at home and watch with your family on Thanksgiving weekend. It could be that quickly that it shows up on Disney Plus. So, all right, Jim, I got to ask you a question now. Mm -hmm. I've known a lot of people throughout my life who, when it comes to movies that they would like to see, a lot of them will go, I'll wait till it comes out on home video. I don't need to see it in the theater. I mean, it looks okay and all, but I'll just wait till it comes out on home video. Do you think that with Disney shortening their window, that type of mentality will increase that much more because the window is now smaller and it's not that big of a deal to wait? You know, before it was, I had to wait three months. Now I got to wait a month and a half and all things considered in the time of COVID and all month and a half really ain't all that long considering I've been indoors for a year plus now. So yeah, I think a lot of people who have just gotten used to the fact that they couldn't go to a theater and now things are being delivered to them with the option, you know, for example, of Black Widow day and date with the theater. And now Shang-Chi starts to come along and they go, oh, it's only in theaters right now. But if you wait a month and a half, you can have it on Disney Plus, same as the old deal. I think a lot of people are just used to not going to the theater and go, yeah, I'll wait that month and a half. What do you think? This is why I loved going to CinemaCon in Las Vegas. In fact, obviously, everybody's canceling, you know, in-person, you know, industry conventions now. But I'm, I'm hoping this comes back in 2022 because it was typically held in the March-April window. And you'd go out and each of the studios would show their slate for the coming six months or so. But you also got to meet with, you know, all of the guys who were, you know, the, the latest food that was going to be offered at concession stands and, and that sort of thing. And 
But it was also that you meet with the projection guys, and I'm blanking the name of the company that invented this technology, but there's, there's now 25 to, to 30 theaters out in the country that offer this. And they went to filmmakers and talked with them, and there were a number of directors who actually got on board with this process. So basically, it's 270 degrees worth of image. I mean, the idea is that, you know, in front of you on a giant screen, you have the movie that everybody else in the country is getting. But on the walls to either side of you, and, and this is even in raked houses, you've got an extended image. You know, sometimes it's it's actual stuff that's shot on the set. Some of it, you know, like an animated film, you know, it's, it's art pieces that sort of go along with the scene. But you're surrounded by image. And in talking with the guys who invented this technology, they were staring down the barrel of Blu-ray and DVD and the people who wanted to watch their phone, you know, their movies on their phones. And this was the notion of this is what's going to save exhibition. You are in the movie. You are, you know, surrounded by the image. And I just wonder, you know, again, when I get to go to CinemaCon again and 2022, 2023, if there still is an industry at that point, what are these people going to try to do to try to get the very people you're talking about here, the ones who are saying, I can wait. Actually, I I think I may have seen it just recently. It's basically a wall of speakers. And Mm. the idea is you make your entire theater out of walls of speakers, Mm. top to bottom. And these speakers are all chained together in a much more sophisticated way than just left, right, up, down. Mm-hmm. And they're able to beam sound almost with laser-like precision. So if you wanted there to be a waterfall emanating from uh, rows one and two, seats one and two, and mm-hmm. then you wanted an elephant to stampede through rows you know, A through J in seats seven through eight, it would be very, very specifically located through beamform technology, so to speak, of the audio, and then uh, cancellation of audio, so it's it's very, very precisely located and doesn't leak out uh, where it shouldn't. But that gives you, a, wherever you are in the theater, uh, almost a 3D representation of audio in the same way that we got, you know, 3D images back in, in a few years ago, and maybe still today that there's still some 3D movies released. Um, but this would enhance that greatly. A, a couple of years ago, was was nice enough to get me into Dolby, into their test theater, and Axmos, Access? Atmos. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, and he was playing the test stuff for Atmos, and the very thing you were describing, that sort of laser-focused, pinpointed sound where, you know, you could literally hear a storm pass overhead or, you know, a lightning. I mean, it was was stunning use of sound. And that is almost entirely through the use of additional ceiling speakers. That's exactly. That's exactly. Not not as much about the sides. So if you take this with Atmos, it's just mind-blowing. No, no, no. It it, it was. But again, you're right. You looked overhead and it was like train tracks. But the end effect was just absolutely stunning. If you imagine uh, for our listeners at home, you want to like geeky type moment, just think of all the battle scenes in Lord of the Rings where they fling a boulder through the air (laughs) and having that that sound travel all the way through your living room, the flaming. As George Lucas said, and part of the reason why I got into sound is half of the movie is sound. And those types of things that pull you deeper in, even though you're still looking at a 2D image, that sound is able to put you into a 3D space. And that's what I really like about that. It's so funny you say that because today in Twitter, somebody was paying tribute. I guess this today is the, the 19th anniversary of the release of The Attack of the Clones. Mm-hmm. At one point, uh, Obi-Wan is chasing Jango Fett. Through an asteroid field, and he releases, I want to say it's a gravitational mine. It's the seismic charge, yeah. it's that. Seismic charge, and it was one of these things where it's like, for sound people, because of, they just love that. I want to say the most recent season of The Mandalorian, actually, they brought back the the seismic charge, and and again, the sound people lost their minds, like, oh my god, that sound again. I was one of those geeks, and I'll tell you what, I, I curse Ben Burt because he will not say how he made that. That's one that he's taken to his grave, and it's just like, well, <laughs> someone give him the Elven Forever juice because he has to live forever until we can find a way to get this information out of him. Because it okay. is my very favorite sound effect in all of Star Wars. Uh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of, of scenes that I would love to see 
in Dolby Atmos. Again, as part of this, this MTV Movie Awards, we finally got a clip of Black Widow. And we got uh, Scarlett Johansson and Florence Plew's character in the middle of this amazing car chase, where half the fun of it is an amazing car chase with these two deadpan women, <laughs> you know, to the effect of, yeah, we're, you know, person behind us on a motorcycle with a machine gun. And it's like, you know, <laughs> will you drive? But it's one of those things where it's one thing to see it on your laptop or, or television home, but it's like, oh, to hear that in a theater with a decent sound system, that would be amazing. The fun and the excitement of the scene would go up 110%. Oh, oh, and before I forget, the Black Widow, The Ties That Bind, Volume 1 trade paperback. This is the collection of that recent run of, of Black Widow comics that Kelly Thompson and Elena Casagrande did. And I wanted to be supportive, so I ordered my copy through Amazon. It showed up last week. And it just, it's 112 pages of just beautiful drawings and really kind of a heartbreaking story. Again, I don't know if they wrote it with input from the studio about what projects were coming down the line, but we've got Clint Barton Hawkeye in it. We've got Bucky Barnes, a Winter Soldier, uh, Yelena Bavlova, the character that, that Florence Plug plays in the upcoming, likewise, um, The Red Guardian, which uh, the gentleman from Stranger Things. Uh, David Herbert. Plays. Yeah, I was, in fact, I was just last night, I caught his version of Hellboy, um, yep. which again, I still my heart belongs to the Guillermo. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, it's like you feel like you're cheating on your girlfriend. It did. It <laughs> did. Did you so, enjoy the David Harbor? I did. I'm ashamed to say I did. Don't blame did. me, honey. I still love you the most. Uh, but I enjoyed so. the other pretty girl too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, speaking of folks that we love, David Batista, who, of course, dragged the Destroyer in, you know, the Guardian films today. In fact, he's been out doing press for... Are you uh, sure that's what we should be calling it? I don't think that it qualifies as press when he's talking about, I think I'm done with the character after this movie. Sounds kind of like on the rug to me. To be fair, there are reasons that... David is talking this way, and this is the sixth time he's played the, the character. In fact, well, what's funny is he, first of all, he was talking about the fact that I can neither confirm or deny that, you know, I am in Thor 4, because frankly, the people at Disney and Marvel haven't told me I can talk about this yet. You know, no, you know, mine. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What? Let's yeah. ride the logic train on that one for a second. Okay. Right. Usually. Mm-hmm. When I'm not involved with a Disney project, they don't mm -hmm. need to let me know. I'm not involved with it. Okay? Uh -huh. So um, the fact that they've got to notify him about whether he can talk about whether he may or may not be involved with it is absolutely he's involved with it. That's just a horrible, horrible way of saying it. But yeah. Okay, go ahead. He talks about the fact, well, look, Chris Pratt is out there talking about how uh, he's in Thor 4. And so maybe somebody at Disney has told him that it's okay to say that, you know, he's in this movie. But nobody's told me yet. So I can neither confirm nor deny that I'm in the movie. But then he goes on to talk about how absurd this is, you know, because it's like Disney puts us in a jet. They fly us over to Australia. The press stands outside of the hotel. They take pictures of us walking into the hotel. So we're clearly there, but, you know, on the other hand, until somebody takes a picture of me on the set, in costume, wearing the makeup, and the Disney PR department, you know, releases it, I can neither confirm nor deny that I am in Thor 4. That comes from David's training with the WWE. This is the storyline. Do not reveal the storyline. Right. You know, that nobody should know in advance what we're doing. And David's a team player, but... The very thing you were talking about, about him saying, and you know, he's, he's been very straightforward about, I think this upcoming Guardians 3 may be my last time as Drax. But the interesting thing is he, he has a reason. And it's, it's not because he's unhappy with the studio. He's not happy about the stories. It's the makeup. You know, he talks about how as he's gotten older, it's a tougher and tougher makeup to get into. Well, honestly, in, in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, he did claim, even in the movie, he's got very mm -hmm. sensitive nipples. <laughs> well, there we go. I, I, 
I love that you dig out the fun fact toy. Um, <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't a line that was in the script. That was just him coming out of the makeup trailer. I've got very sensitive nipples, and James Gunn laughed, and they kept it in the film, and that's how it got there. <laughs> that's the other thing he was talking about. One of the reasons he likes working with James Gunn and Taika Waititi is they're both guys who work really hard on scripts, but they're both very open to improv. So if you're there to play. And, you know, you bring stuff to the set. You know, they are happy to fold it in. Sure. The other thing that David was talking about is, like, if, you know, you're staring down the barrel of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which supposedly they're going to get together, read the script in November, and it you know, begins production by the end of the year. But this is not one film. When they're all there shooting this, they're doing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, they're also at the same time going to be shooting footage for the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special that'll be debuting on Disney Plus for the Christmas season of 2022. And the ride footage for Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind. So this is going to be potentially the longest shoot ever for a Guardians project. It means days and days and days in that makeup for him. And James Gunn has been kind of upfront about the fact that, yeah, I think this is my last Guardians film as well. And the whole notion is like, well, if the guy who made it fun and gave me this great character to play is going leaving the project, maybe it's time for me to leave as well. And by the way, what's her name? The, the woman who plays Nebula, uh, Karen Gillian. Mm-hmm. She's read the script. Uh, David hasn't read the rewritten version yet. Again, I think he read it back in 2017 before James, you know, had his falling out with Disney. Mm. And, you know, it's since been reworked a bit. But uh, Karen has read the latest version and says, it's honestly, it's the best of the trilogy. Oh, that's Karen. She's just doing the thing that you, you, you're in a movie. What are you going to say? It's okay. That's all right. I don't know if I'd go see it myself. I mean, I know that my mom would not go see it unless I was specifically in it. So, eh, it's all right. You realize you're now off the Christmas card list from the Gillian house, right? Actually, that that would bother me greatly because I am a terribly huge fan of Lovely Karen. But, you know, I understand. But, you know, she's just doing her job. I'm just pointing out she's doing her job like a good actor or actress would in the situation when you're supposed to promote your movie, you're Mm -hmm. only going to say good stuff about it. Like she's going to say, I'm going to be in these forever guys. And it is always the most awesome thing ever. (laughs) Meanwhile, Dave is like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to do this forever. Cause uh, you know, the guy that did it, he's not doing it anymore. My nipples are sensitive with the makeup. (laughs) I know that chick over there. That's really pretty with the red hair has got to shave her head, but you know, sensitive nipples, Trump shaved head. So what are you going to do? There we go. All right. Uh, let's see. What else? Oh, James Gunn. Still love him on Twitter, even though he's, he's got to kind of watch what she posts. But he was talking about the fact that the soundtrack for Guardians Volume 3 is already locked. That they, so evidently they've acquired all of the music, the 70s and 80s music that Star-Lord is, is going to be grooving to during the film. Now, hold up. Hold up. Yep. Last time we left off, Star-Lord got a shiny new Zune. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the soundtrack is going to at least venture into the days where you could... I mean, Zune came out in 2005, 6, 7-ish? Like, mid-2000s. Ooh. Right? So if it came out then, maybe some of the songs are now a little, at least up to that point in history where Star-Lord's got some more up-to-date jams. And now I'm really curious, what does he like as far as current music goes? Like, what's his new style now that he's got thousands of tunes to choose from on a single Zune? What will he gravitate towards? No pun of space intended gravitate towards. No, no, no. God, that's... I really want to know more about the soundtrack now. Out of all of the stuff that we've just talked about, I am Mm -hmm. most interested in what is on the new Guardians 3 soundtrack. By far the most interesting thing because James Gunn has given us some amazingly creative soundtracks, not your standard run-of-the-mill stuff. Uh, So I'm very, very curious to see where this goes. Well, and to to further throw a a music question or two on the pile here, now remember... When Disney changed over Tower of Terror at California Adventure mm. to Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, 
they programmed six different drop sequences with great pieces of real music that, in fact, they actually show Rocket plugging the it, into the, the cassette player that, that, that Star-Lord uses. Mm. And just talking with friends in Imagineering, and they were talking about the fact that for Cosmic Rewind, they're doing the same thing. They, they're going to have a, a, a music soundtrack that is very appropriate for the Guardians film that people will know instantaneously. But again, it's sort of keying off of, well, we're doing a coaster and what works best in a coaster environment. Evidently, they had the initial conversations when they were working on uh, Mission Breakout and, and then the Monsters After Dark. But I, I guess they've recently gone back to the table. And I wonder if it is on the back of what's supposedly on that Zune. For some reason, I'm imagining that it's got soundtracks on the Zune, and one of the soundtracks is the Great Space Coaster. Get on board. <laughs> and does he use that? What? No? Is that horrible? I'm sorry. I retract. No, I retract. No, it's just, it is so <laughs> on the money, so on the nose. I know, right? Uh, That's what I was thinking. I'm like, no, they, there's no possible way. Could they? Wait a minute. Hold on. Uh, uh. <laughs> I'll tell you what, folks, while we ponder that question, uh, we're going to do a quick commercial here, but when we get back, we're going to do a deeper dive into the theme park side of Marvel Studios. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew, ew! Ugh. Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. On our last show, we did a fairly deep dive on what was going on DCA-wise in regard to the Avengers campus there. Disney Parks blog put up a video about the various costumes that people will be wearing for the folks who work at Web Slingers, the folks that work at the Doctor Strange meet and greet, and the fact that the folks who are working in the PIM test kitchen will be wearing lab coats, but not just lab coats, but they actually have a pocket protector that comes with the lab coat that actually says PIM test kitchen. And it's like, I want it. I want it bad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know why that one got to me. But speaking of Marvel food... Disney Parks blog just posted a video where they revealed all, you know, a lot of the stuff that's going into the Disney Wish, which next ship to join the fleet, maiden voyage of the Disney Cruise Line uh, vessel, will be June 9th of next year. And while all of the other ships in the Disney Cruise Line, they have things like Marvel Day at Sea or they have their Superhero Academy, the Wish is going to be the very first ship to have its own Marvel-themed restaurant. And Aaron, we are not talking about a shawarma cart. This place is going to be called the Worlds of Marvel. Disney Cruise Line officials describe it as the first ever Marvel cinematic dining adventure. Mm -hmm. But they describe your time in the restaurant. Guests will play an interactive role in an action-packed Avengers mission that will unfold around them, complete with a worldly menu inspired by the Marvel Cinematic Universe. At World of Marvel, families will find dishes inspired lo by locations like Wakanda, Sokovia, and New York City, while dining in the midst of immersive Avengers technology. Dining amidst technology? How warm and inviting that sounds. But, you know, they go on to say that the restaurant is outfitted with state-of-the-art PIM tech and decked out with signature Starkitecture. Starkitecture. Uh, Stark architecture. Oh, boy, I bet the person that wrote that one is just breaking their arm off, patting themselves on the back. Hey, Bob, did you hear about star architecture? Yeah, that was me. I came up with it. Hey, Lisa, 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 did you hear about star architecture? That was my Donna, Donna, star architecture. That was me. What up, Jerry? Star architecture. I came up with that. And you and I both know you're not wrong. All right. You know, just, you know, it's a good line. You have, have it's a good line. Applause it's a good line. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. now we're transitioned, but just today we found out that uh, Disneyland Paris is going to be reopening its theme parks on June 17th. 
That's going to be the Disneyland Park over there, uh, Walt Disney Studios Park, in addition to the Newport Bay Club Hotel and the Disney Village Shopping and Dining thing. But then four days later, on June 21st, we finally get the Disney Hotel New York, The Art of Marvel. Chapek announced this back in July of 2017 at that year's D23 Expo. And the, the idea was that they were going to take that Michael Graves-designed hotel and make it into this Marvel-themed masterpiece. And, and circling back to the architecture thing, if you remember when we were first talking about it, they did that test corridor where the colors of the carpet were, you know, the Iron Man metallic red and the yellow. It was vaguely reminiscent of the colors and the design work that we associate with Iron Man. Mm -hmm. And then you went into the rooms and they had all of these amazing pieces of art that had been pulled from the Marvel archives. In fact, you know, th this hotel is going to have, it's a 516-room hotel with, in public areas, 300 pieces of art, 50 of which have been made specifically for this hotel. And from the moment you enter the lobby, you know, the one of the, the things you see supposedly over the check-in area, they have this amazing giant backlit comic book strip. Mm -hmm. And then three full-size pieces of of Iron Man, the, the Iron Man costumes for the film, right alongside the Captain America shield. So it, it's the place you want to go to if you are a Marvel fan. And then for the food side of things, they're going to have their Manhattan restaurant, where the centerpiece of this thing basically is, do you know the, the sort of the design aesthetic of Asgard in the, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Yeah, that's Thor-kitecture. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is a short, you know, showcase for Thor-kitecture, all right? You know, that, that. On the other hand, me, who I can't go to New York without seeking out so many of my favorite delis have closed over the past year, but but they, they're doing something sort of like the stage or delicatessen, only in this place, it's full of caricatures of, of your favorite Marvel characters and supposedly 90 plus sketches, you know, lining the walls done by artists that work at Marvel Comics. And they're taking an idea from the Disney Cruise Line uh, that was called the, I want to say the Skyline Bar. You know, the gimmick of that is that you go into the bar and behind the bar, there's this giant line of flat panel uh, video screens. But the thing is that every 15 minutes, they change to the view of another great city of the world. And so you can sit there and drink your cocktail. And it's as if you're upstairs at, you know, a revolving restaurant that changes its city every 15 minutes or so. And so... But what they've decided to do with the Skyline Bar this time is that you're sitting there, you know, and it's it's Manhattan. But every so often as you look out into the concrete canyons, who goes thripping by but but Spider-Man or Iron Man flies through. But it's now, you got to be watching. Is, this is for the cruise ship? Well, th this is technology that was introduced on the cruise ship that they're now bringing to the Art of Marvel Hotel. Oh, okay, okay. I was going to say, because if it was the new cruise ship, they should have done mm. it where it was a helicarrier. Oh, man. Yeah. That's Thematically, a great idea. it would fit. And then you can and then you can explain why you're over a different city. Mm -hmm. Now, the Imaginators in talking about this, you want to stress that the imagery that's being created for the, the Skyline Bar, this is the first time they're doing it in 3D. They credited a virtual reality system made possible by our Imaginator co uh, colleagues in Glendale. And the imagery, the shots on these projection screens are as real, realistic and possible. And I want to stress that because of the 3D thing, if you get too close to the window, you might get dizzy. And it's just sort of like the combination of cocktails and getting dizzy. And, you know, Do they have a trough that lines the edge of the window just in case? I was wondering that myself, so Eesh. please don't throw up on the star architecture. That's all I'm asking, folks. It's, it sounds expensive to clean. So <laughs> as we're talking about what's going on Marvel-wise, Disneyland Paris, we should uh, do a quick update about what's actually going on in the Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris, because right behind the Anaheim version of the Avengers Campus, they've already begun working on parts of the campus for there. They, For example, they had their... Armageddon special effects show, which opened with the park back in uh, March of 2002. 
That closed in March of 2019, and that show building has since been leveled, and in its place is being built the Parisian version of the Web Slingers, the Spider-Man adventure, the thing that Tom Holland did the, the ride film uh, for. Interesting that we'll get a clone of that. And on the other hand, there, this theme park's version of uh, the rock and roller coaster uh, with Aerosmith, uh, you know, uh, an attraction that originally debuted at Disney MGM Studios and then was cloned as an opening day attraction for Walt Disney Studios Park. That also closed in 2019, though that, that closed in September rather than March. And that's now being transformed into the Iron Man Jukebox, which basically will be, it's an indoor steel roller coaster with a soundtrack that you interact with Jarvis to select. And, you know, you then get to, to ride this roller coaster, indoor roller coaster in the dark going by Tony in Iron Man outfit doing battle with a yet-to-be-named villain, but with the soundtrack that you've chosen. So ACDC will probably be thrilled with the royalties to come from the soundtrack. One thing, though, that is not thrilling, but we kind of knew this from what was happening with the Anaheim version of the Avengers campus. In fact, it was really kind of sad to sort of bring things full circle here. They had a photograph of the outfit that the folks who were working at the Avengers headquarters, the, the, the building that they put the Quinjet on top of, mm-hmm. they showed them standing in front of the building. You know, this is the outfit we'll be wearing when we work here. And it's like, yeah, but you could see the temporary construction fence where the giant building that was supposed to house the Quinjet Battle of Wakanda attraction was supposed to be located. And... From what I'm hearing from, from friends in Imagineering, I mean, basically, just the fact that in the first quarter of this year, the period that ended on January 2nd, uh, 2021, Disney Worldwide <laughs> lost $2.6 billion from its theme parks. And that's three months of money gone. So if you want to extrapolate that from the parks closing in March of 2020... And, you know, we're just now getting them sort of up to speed with, you know, at least stateside with the CDC, you know, sort of pushing back the the mask mandate. I've been told that the building's built, the entrance building is there, but it could be as long as five years before the Battle of Wakanda idea comes back off the table. Disney has to recover so much money that they lost over the past 14 months or so before they will ever attempt anything that ambitious. Does that mean that they're just going to have an, uh, an Avengers campus that's got just big empty chunks of land, like a, a big concrete slab there and tumbleweeds blown across? You can go to the Disney Parks blog right now, and what's fascinating is the photo they took. There were three employees, or Disney cast members, wearing the Avengers headquarters outfits, and they're the middle ground behind them. You can see the Avengers headquarters entrance building with a Quinjet on top of it. And then looming in the background, you can see the towers of the Tavon collection, you know, where the, uh, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout is located. There'll be a lot to do and a lot to enjoy in phase one of the, you know, the Avengers Campus in Anaheim. But yes, you will see this temporary fence. With a sign that says Wakanda forever, sometime later. Yes, but (laughs) wait till you see the star architecture, okay? You know, but uh, but yeah. So yes, we we're a few years out, and which makes me sad. uh, But on the other hand. That does give them time to sort of sort out what we do here. I just hope that it, it doesn't end up souring the overall land for some people when they go to see it and it's not everything that it could have been. And there's, you know, obviously there could have been something really cool over here, but we don't know what it's going to be for several years. So we only got half of a land. And now when I go back and tell my friends, is it worth visiting? Eh, well, it was okay, but. It could have been really cool if it were done. Mm, Nothing kind of sucks more than feeling that you went to an incomplete experience. There are people who went to Epcot 
on opening day and walked around World Showcase. And you would literally, between, I want to say, Germany and China, there was a, a sign and a piece of concept art that's saying, coming soon, this is where Africa, you know, the African Pavilion will be located. And there were other sort of empty slots along World Showcase Lagoon, where it's like there was a sign for this is where Spain was going to be built, and this is where Israel was going to be built. And they were announced, and contracts were signed, and they never got built. So... I get what you're saying, you know, that, that, you know, there are people who still kind of mourn that those weren't ever built, but. Yeah, I mean, you, you go there and you see more signs of what could have been than what is, mm. a, what, than what actually is. And that's yeah. where you end up starting to go, man, how much am I not experiencing? And you start forgetting about what you actually are experiencing in the process. Yeah, it's kind of a balancing act. Yeah. They should just take the signs down and put some benches there and go, we knew you'd get tired walking from pavilion to pavilion, so we put these comfortable benches with charging stations because we know that your phone is out of juice. Aren't we considerate? And we go, boy, those Disney guys, they're on their A game. They know what it's all about. Epcot, city of the future. What we need is more charging and USB ports for our phones. That's the future. Right on. And, a, and again, that check goes to Aaron Adams. So... um. Anyway, folks, so that kind of brings us up to speed about the Marvel news that's out there over the past week or so. When Aaron and I come back in two weeks, I'm sure, God help us, there'll be even more stuff to talk about. So what about you for the week coming ahead? What Marvel-related stuff will you be doing, Aaron? I noticed that Lego put out a new thing saying that they're going to put out a... a 3,500 some odd piece version of the Daily Bugle and I told the wife absolutely really? not I will not be purchasing that and then I saw mm -hmm. like the 20 minifigs that came with it and I went scratch that we're buying this immediately because <laughs> uh, it comes with the Green Goblin and, uh, and uh, Mysterio and yeah I mean just a ton of of little figures that go along with it and also, if you've ever seen the, the meme of Spider-Man sitting behind a desk at the Daily Bugle with a little framed picture of Spider-Man sitting behind him, they've built that as Peter Parker's <laughs> oh, no! office. It, yeah, and it's no! in the publicity image. Yeah, it's great that they were able to uh, acknowledge that meme and, and create a room in their Lego tower of the Daily Bugle to make that happen. Oh. But there's tons of different ways to attach villains to the side of the building building and attack and infiltrate the daily bugle and if you get to the top they can do battle with j jonah jameson himself yes they, i'm sorry that's what i wanted to hear yeah. and do, do how can we you have, have a yeah how can you have a daily bugle without a j jonah right well not just that I, I, they've got a robbie they've got a robbie oh. yeah and they've they've okay. got a Betty Brandt, uh, who is the secretary just outside of Jay Jonah's office. So I mean, yeah, they've wow. got the whole darn cast. I don't know what the price is, but price mm. be damned, it will be in my home. So okay. uh, keep your eyes on the Lego uh, website for that to come out in the near future, and uh, I'll I'll be doing that shortly with the wife. Very cool. Very cool. Okay, and. Um Again, just that, that, that a little bit of warning, you know, no walking around barefoot until you complete the model. Because, again, I honestly believe Lego's, you know, fascinating build of material, also excellent for torture. Also conveniently sized to fit the esophagus of a small child, so be careful. <laughs> they weren't thinking that one through very well, damn it. They, they weren't. They weren't. Okay, well, again, thank you for listening, folks, and we'll be back soon.